I heard a story this week about a mother that had uh, three sons, and they all grew up, and, and they went out and began to prosper in the world. And they all got to a moment where they got together, and they were bragging about what they got mom for Mother's Day. And the first son said, I got you guys beat. I, I've done so well, I was able to get mom a house, a, a mansion, actually. The second son said, that's cool, but... You know what? I got her a Mercedes Benz with a driver to take her wherever she wants to go. And the third son's like, you guys don't know anything. I got you both beat. I found this brown parrot that had been trained for 15 years by 20 monks. And over 15 years, those 20 monks taught this brown parrot the entire text of the Bible. Since mom can't read, all she has to do is say the chapter and verse she wants to hear, and that parrot will say it to her. So a little bit of time goes on, and mom gets to the point where she's sending out her thank you notes to the sons. She sends one to the first son and says, thank you for the mansion. It was so generous, but I really only live in one room, and I have to clean the whole thing. And she wrote a letter to the second son and said, thanks for the Mercedes Benz, but I really don't go anywhere, and the driver's kind of rude. And then she sent a letter to the third son, and she said, thank you so much. You're the only son who, who truly understands what mom likes. That chicken you sent was delicious. <laughs> oh, so there you go. Happy Mother's Day uh, <laughs> to my wife and mother of my kids, my moms and mom-in-law. All, all women this morning, we want to say thank you. We're appreciative that God put women in the world. God knew what he was saying when he said it's not good for the man to be alone. We're, we're glad you're here. We're thankful for your part in our church and in your family. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for the special women that you put in each of our lives, be they moms or wives or friends or sisters. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the women that are here in our church that, that use the gifts that you've given them for your glory and your body. We pray great blessing upon each of them, not only today, but just as they uh, continue to live their lives for you. Um, may we as men in this world just show them the appropriate amount of appreciation and, and gratitude for who they are, uh, especially in you, Lord. This morning as we uh, look at Paul's life, I pray that you'd speak to us challenge us. Give us hope. That's what we're going to be looking at in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys know that we've been in the last eight to ten years of Paul's life. We've been talking about what it looks like to finish strong. And today we're going to talk about the fact that to finish strong in our lives, whether it's a season of your life, a chapter of your life, or your life itself, to finish strong means to run your race with hope. How many of you feel like you could use a little hope? Hope is huge. And we're going to be in Acts 25 and 26 today, but don't freak out because we're really going to focus in on three verses. I looked at the scope of the passage, and we could be here for a week if we looked at the whole thing. We're going to look at three verses in the middle of yet another trial in Paul's life. Acts 26, 6 through 8. And I want you to see the word that jumps out three times. He's on trial, his life on the line. He's on trial for Jesus. And listen to what he says. He says, it's because of my, what? Hope 
in what God has promised our ancestors that I'm on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Three times in that little statement, he says it's because of my hope that I'm willing to put my life on the line for Jesus Christ. That makes me think this hope is, is pretty important. And here specifically, he's talking about the hope that this life isn't all there is. That there's going to be a resurrection of the dead someday, and there's more to life than just this life. But I want to broaden it to talk about hope in God generally. What is it, biblically? Hope is not like when I say, hey, when, when I take Carolyn and the boys out to Olive Garden for Mother's Day after service, I hope the lines won't be too long. <laughs> That's going to fail me, right? We'll probably wait two hours. It's not I hope the Cubs will win the World Series this year. <laughs> hope in the Bible comes from the Greek word elpizo. Anybody want to say that with me? El pizzo. You might think it's Spanish for pizza, but it's Greek for hope. <laughs> what it means in the Bible is to confidently expect and trust that something good will happen. To confidently expect and trust that something good will happen. Ravi Zacharias said it this way. Hope is that indispensable element that makes the present moment so important. The absence of future hope has an amazing capacity to reach into the present and eat away at the structure of life as termites would a foundation. You hear what he's saying? With no hope for the future, the present just gets eaten away. Scientists have done experiments on this theme with rats, believe it or not. Some of you will, will mourn over this story. Some of you won't care. I hope we get the point here. They, they wanted to do an experiment with animals about hope. And so they took these rats and they divided them into two groups. They put both groups in water. And the idea was for the rats to swim as long as they could. The first group they put in the water and just left them alone. And they swam for one hour and then they drowned. Okay? I know. Those of you rat lovers, this is depressing. The second group they put in the water. And as they began to swim, about once an hour, they lifted them out for just a moment, a couple seconds, and put them back in. You know how long those rats in that second group swam for? 24 hours. And it's not simply physical because they were only removed for a couple seconds at a time and put back in the water. That, that physical rest of two seconds can't explain how they swam so much longer. The scientists actually believe that those rats got it inside of them that if I could just hold on a little longer, I'm going to get this boost from the scientists to help me out. And it kept them going. If it's important, even in the animal world, creatures who are not even created in the image of God, you can imagine how crucial hope is to people, all of whom are created 
in his image. God knew that. That's why he talks about it so much in the Bible. So that's why we're going to look at this moment in Paul's life and focus in on hope. And I hope we leave here filled with the same hope Paul had. A little bit of catch up. You guys know that in Paul's life, it's been trial after trial after trial, right? First, he spoke before a mob that tried to kill him in Jerusalem. He spoke before the religious leaders in Jerusalem. Then he spoke before Governor Felix. You remember that? And Felix, after talking to him, locked him up in Caesarea. And it says that he left him there for two years. You can just read over that in your Bible. Just imagine two years of your life sitting and waiting. Two years. Paul sat in prison. Now, God used that. Some people believe that two years was when Luke was able to connect with Paul and get all the details he needed to write the book of Acts because his friends were allowed to come see him. God uses everything. But Felix was at the end of his governorship, and a man named Festus took over. And Felix, because he wanted to do a favor for the Jews who hated Paul, said, well, I guess I'll just leave Paul in jail. He could have let him go at the end of his governorship. He said, nah, I'll leave him in jail. And that's where that two years comes in. Festus takes over, and they're always trying to please these Jews. Okay, so Festus says, hey, why don't we take you to Jerusalem, Paul? Because the Jews still wanted him to go back there. You remember why? So they could kill him on the way. So he tries to get him to do that, and Paul stands before this new governor in Acts chapter 25. and says, no, if I'm guilty of doing anything deserving death, I don't refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus had conferred with his council, he declared, you have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. Now, if you've been with us for a few weeks, you remember this was part of God's plan all along. Remember Jesus visited Paul and said, you will testify on my behalf in Rome. That's where Caesar is. God's will is getting carried out here. But Festus has to know what in the world to say to Caesar. You know, he's got to send a letter with Paul and explain why am I troubling you with this matter. Okay? And Festus is confused about the deal, so he calls in the Jewish king Agrippa and Bernice. They sit down, and I won't go into all the details, because Paul, again, is going to tell his story how he used to persecute Christians and Jesus met him on the Damascus road and God changed his life. I know some of you guys are like, we've heard that three times already. This is starting to get like Groundhog Day, <laughs> right? And some of you are about to go on strike from this sermon series because you're tired of hearing about Paul's testimony. If we get tired of hearing about it, Paul was living it. Trial after trial after trial. If we get tired of hearing about it, Humanly speaking, imagine Paul, but yet he held on to his hope. It kept him going. That, that, that blows me away. And We're going to go back to those verses we started with. It's because of my hope and what God has promised our ancestors that I'm on trial today. This is what he's saying to Festus and Agrippa and Bernice. It's a promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled. It's because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. So I thought today, what, wouldn't it be a great idea, since, since he chooses to camp on hope, to wrestle with the question, what is hope? What is hope? What does it mean for my life? Why should I hope? Why should I have any hope at all? 
The good news is Paul didn't leave us empty on this theme. If you look at his letters alone in the New Testament to the churches, 54 times at least he mentions the word hope. So I thought, wouldn't it be great to go through briefly, not all 54, (laughs) and look at what Paul says about hope and why he held on to it and how it can make a difference in our lives. And we're going to summarize it into three main ideas that we can carry out of here and hopefully leave with more hope than we came in. The first one is this. Hope is confidence that God will do what he has promised. God will do what he has promised. We're not going to have all the verses up here, but if you want, write them down. Just listen in. Romans 4.18, Paul writes about Abraham. He says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Against all hope means Abraham looked at the situation. God had promised him a child, and they're old. There is no human reason to believe that this is going to happen. That's why it says against all hope. But you know what it says against that? Abraham in hope believed what God had said. Maybe you're in the middle of an impossible situation. But you know God has made certain promises to you. Do you believe what he has said and that he will do it? Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You see, that confidence comes in there. Do you have that confidence in what God has said to you through his word, through his spirit, and that he's going to keep his word? It's easy to read in scripture. It's hard when we're in the waiting. Even this morning as I was getting ready for my sermon, I was talking to Jaden. Jaden said to me, he said, I can't wait for summer. He loves school. He loves his school. I, I don't want to get in too much trouble. His vice principal's not here right now. But he, he loves school. But like any kid, he loves summer more. And he said, I can't wait for summer. And I told him, it'll be here soon. And you know what he said? I thought this was, on the surface, pretty simple, but pretty profound. When you think about our lives, especially when we're waiting. He said, things only seem quick when you're done with them. When you're in the middle of them, it takes a long time. <laughs> Isn't that true? Whatever situation you're waiting on right now, it doesn't feel like it's going quick, does it? It feels like it's taking forever. I read this week, you think about this. Joseph waited 13 years in the Old Testament, right? Thrown in the well, falsely accused, imprisoned. It was 13 years until he became number two in the land of Egypt and was able to provide food for his family. We read through that story like this, but it was 13 years. Abraham, you know how long he waited from the time of the promise to the time Isaac was born? 25 years. Anybody in here not even 25 yet? Right there in the back row. Bob. Anybody lying? The point of what this author was saying is if God is making you wait... You're in good company. You're in good company. But the, but the thing is, with all these guys, they, they hung in there during the waiting because they believed God would do what he had said he would do. I read a story this week about a self-made millionaire named Eugene Land. 
Eugene Land was given the opportunity to go into a Harlem school where there was a very high dropout rate. It was a high school. He was given a chance to go in there and speak to these kids and and inspire them. And he had all of his notes all prepared and he's ready to go. And and he got in there. How am I going to encourage these kids? They got so much hardship in their lives. How am I going to encourage them to stick it out? He just scrapped his notes. And you know what he told them? He looked at that class of 59 students. And from his heart, he said, if you stay in school, I'll help pay the college tuition for every one of you. You know what? That class that heard him there that day, 90% of them went on to graduate and go to college. Why? Because he gave them hope. He gave them a promise. They believed it. So they worked hard for that six years from sixth grade to twelfth grade, waiting, and the promise came true. When you believe the promise, it helps you persevere in the waiting. So this first point I want to ask you, are you waiting right now in a situation? You're stuck in a tough spot, and you're waiting for God to come through. You're waiting for an answer, waiting for a check, waiting for a diagnosis. I don't know what you're waiting for. The big question between you and God this morning is, do you believe what God has said and that he will do what he has said he will do? The second point this morning is that real hope is only found in Jesus Christ. There are lots of people, ads, things that will promise you hope. I'm here to tell you this morning, the only real hope comes in Jesus Christ. It's not in money. Listen to what 1 Timothy 6.17 says. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. How many of us, if we're honest, this has crossed my mind, so you're not selling yourself out here. You just have this thought that, man, if I just had $2 million or a million dollars, all my worries would be gone. Does that ever cross your mind? (laughs) Okay, we're we're being honest here. I read something this week that uh, shook that theory to the core. It uh, blew my mind. Been watching the NFL draft. Anybody else? My Browns got Johnny football. We're going to see how that goes. Okay, the article is about players in the NFL. Blew my mind. 78% of NFL players are bankrupt within two years of retiring. It's such an epidemic that the Seattle Seahawks have a financial advisor now to to help their guys when they start. Because he sits down with a group of 10, 12 new guys and says, how many of you have ever made more than 10,000 a year in your life? Usually it's none of them. They go from that to millions and they don't know what to do with it. Minimum wage in the NFL is $420,000 a year. Money alone does not solve anything. Nothing wrong with it if you put your hope in it. It'll let you down every time. Six quick things about Jesus being our hope. He's our hope for glory. What I mean by hope for glory, he's the only hope for us to get back to what he intended us to be before sin messed everything up. Colossians 1.27, Paul calls him Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
you trust in Jesus, there's hope that you can once again be everything God intended you to be. Jesus is a better hope. Hebrews 7, 19 says, A better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. You may have some other hopes in your life. What the author is saying there is Jesus is better. Whatever it is, he's better. Jesus is our anchor in the storms of life. Hebrews 6, 18. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. How many of you guys look at your life right now and say, man, there ain't much to hold on to here. Everything's in flux. Everything is changing. Jesus is that anchor. He's worth hanging on to. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. He gives us hope in any situation because you know what? He overcame even death. It's kind of like the trump card. What have you overcome? Jesus is like, I overcame death. Okay, you win. There's nothing he can't overcome. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3, he has given us new birth into a living hope through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And last but not least, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. Titus 2.13, Paul says, while we wait for the blessed hope. What is that blessed hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's coming back. Check that out. He's our hope for glory. He's a better hope. He's our anchor. He's worth hanging on to. He gives us hope because he overcame even death, and he's coming back. So let me ask you this morning, is your hope really in Jesus? Is that where you put all your eggs? In the basket of Jesus Christ? Or if you're honest, is your hope in something else? You can usually tell by where's the first place my mind goes when life gets hard. Last point, hope keeps us going in the middle of our trials. I thought about something my friend Justin shared with me. You know, when you get in the middle of a trial, don't you often, first question is what? Why? (laughs) If we're honest, you ever go there? Why is this happening to me? And There's different possibilities, obviously. Could be that I just, screwed up and I'm suffering the consequences. Sometimes that happens. Could be that Satan's attacking me, trying to prevent me from doing God's work or make me complacent about it. Could be that God simply allowed it. Truth is, even if it's the first two, God has allowed it and wants to use it. And The question ought not to be why, but God, as I go through this, what is it you're teaching me? What is it you're teaching me? A couple points here. Hope actually grows best in the soil of hard times. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 5. We glory in our sufferings. To glory in suffering sounds crazy. It's like, I'm thankful for what God does in the middle of my sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. How many of you know that some of the most hope-filled people in this world are those who have been through the deepest valleys? You know anybody like that? They've been through them, they come out the other side. And when you go through a valley, they come alongside you. And they, they give that hope to you. 
And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. I thought about this, and none of us like the idea that, that hope grows best in the soil of hard times, but we're about to plant our vegetable garden. Anybody else planting flowers or a garden right now? You think about some of the stuff you put on that garden to make that stuff grow. Is it pleasant? <laughs> it's nasty. You remember Back to the Future? The three movies? We just, we just showed those three movies to our sons. Jaden's probably favorite part, and probably Evan's too. Every movie, Biff ends up in a, a trailer of manure after a car crash or whatever. And you remember what he says with manure coming out his teeth? I hate manure. And most of us could say that about trials in our life, right? I hate trials. But you know what? If you respond in faith in the middle of them, they make us grow. They give us hope. 2 Corinthians 1. Paul says, we don't want you to be uninformed about the troubles we experienced in Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. I don't know if there's anyone here this morning that could say that. I am despairing of life itself. He said, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Sometimes it's the trial itself that brings us to that place where we say, I'm not going to try anything else anymore, God. I've tried everything. I'm putting my hope in you. That's, you're the only one worth it. G.K. Chesterton said this about hope in hard times. He said, hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it is no virtue at all. As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is mere flattery or platitude. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. That's a mouthful, but I think he's right. Paul echoes that in our next point. Hope and tears often exist together. You know, it's not necessarily an either-or, right? It's not hope or tears. They, they can exist in the same situation. I think about my own family. I called my mom this morning and asked if I could share this. And like a good pastor's mom, she said, go ahead. <laughs> my family in Ohio is going through a hard, hard season right now. Uh, a few weeks ago, my mom unexpectedly lost her job. Uh, then my dad landed in the hospital last weekend with surprise shooting pain in his right side. And thankfully, it turned out to be an appendix. His, he had had a brother and a, my grandpa whose appendixes had exploded. But he landed in the hospital while they're trying to sort this whole thing out with my mom. And then my mom called yesterday morning, and they got a, a beautiful dog uh, named Lucy. Our boys love chocolate lab mix they've had her for a number of years and and i i asked my mom how's it going and i she just burst into tears she said lucy died lucy died and i asked her what happened and and she said she was panting a lot during the night so she thought she was hot and so she put a fan on her and then she got up in the morning to take her out to go to the bathroom and she went all over the house on the way to the door which she never does 
And then when she came in from being outside, her tongue was all purple. So they rushed her to the vet. The vet tried to do CPR and intubation. And long story short, uh, the dog died on the table at the, the veterinarian's. It's one thing, and then it's another, and then it's another. And as my mom cried, I heard her say, you know what, we're going we're gonna to get through this because we're going to hold on to God. She said that through her tears, and that's how life is. My, my dad sent an email a couple of weeks ago with a question in it. And my dad's kind of like Jesus. A lot of times when he asks a question, he's really driving home a point. You know, he's, he's a good teacher. <laughs> the email was called, Is It Okay to Be a Groaner? And then he wrote in the email, Ever wonder why you feel the way you do? Joyful, but something missing? And he said this, he said, can I be full of joy and groan at the same time? And he knew the answer was yes, because he shared Romans 8, verse 22. It says that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. This is a broken, fallen world. Everything around us groans. We are groaning because of the pain and suffering. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit Christians who walk with Jesus, we we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. That means even as Christ followers in this world, we groan because we haven't yet received the the fullness of what God has for us in a new body, in a new, new heaven, in a new earth with no sin and no suffering and no pain and no tears. We all groan for that day. And Paul says, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. That's what G.K. Chesterton was saying. Hope isn't hope if you already got the answer. Hope is hoping in the darkness. That's hope. I shared this lyric with someone in our church going through a hard time a while back. Amy Grant wrote a song about hard times a number of years ago called Better Than a Hallelujah. Sometimes there's this pressure that we feel from other Christians or other people, unfortunately, that we've got to put on a plastic smile and pretend like everything's okay. Hallelujah, Jesus, everything's great when it's not. And that's a lie. And what she says is, God loves a lullaby and a mother's tears in the dead of night better than a hallelujah sometimes. God loves the drunkard's cry, the soldier's plea not to let him die. Better than a hallelujah sometimes. The woman holding on for life, the dying man giving up the fight are better than a hallelujah sometimes. The tears of shame for what's been done, the silence when the words won't come are better than a hallelujah sometimes. We pour out our miseries. God just hears a melody. Beautiful the mess we are. The honest cries of breaking hearts are better than a hallelujah. Hope and tears can't exist together. Hope keeps us working in the hard times. Hope keeps us working. First Timothy 4.10, we labor and strive. Why? Because we have put our hope in the living God. Paul's saying that's why we keep on serving him, because our hope's in him. First Thessalonians 1.3, this was a church under intense persecution for their faith. Paul writes to him and says, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, 
your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. What kept him going? What gave him endurance? Hope in their Lord Jesus Christ. Kept them working. Hope tells us we're never really alone. 1 Timothy 5.5, one example of that. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. That's true for widows, but that's true for any of us when we're in a moment when we feel alone. We put our hope in God. Lastly, hope carries on even in the face of death. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, in the context of Christians dying, Paul says, you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. You grieve as a Christian when you come to death, but you grieve with hope. And you grieve like Kathy in our church. I saw her and her brother again, George, for lunch this week. And every time we're there, the nurses see her and say, man, you just glow. You got such a joy about you. She is weeks away from meeting her Savior. And every time we get together, she says, Scott, I want you to preach Jesus at my memorial service. I want my whole family to know that's where my hope is. Big smile on her face as she enjoys a big old burger. <laughs> she knows where she's heading. Her hope's in Jesus. John 16, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but here comes the hope. But take heart. I have overcome the world. It's like he's saying, you're going to walk into troubles, but I'm with you. I'm with you always to the end of the age, and I have overcome this world. There's a story from a concentration camp in World War II. A man named Solomon Rosenberg was put in there. His parents were there, his mom and dad, and he had his wife and two boys there, David, the older boy, and Joshua, the younger boy. And the rules in the concentration camp were made clear from the Germans, the Nazis. They said, as long as you can do your work, you're welcome to stay. The moments you can't, you die. So they all worked under that, and he knew and lived in fear for his parents and his youngest son, who was sickly. Sure enough, the day came when his mother and father could not hold up underneath the weight of the workload, and they were carried off to be executed. A little time passed, and they continued to work, continued to work, and he came home one night, and only the oldest son was there. And Solomon said to his oldest son, where's your mother and brother? And he said, uh, my little brother couldn't, couldn't do the work anymore. And they came to take him away. And he said, well, where's your mother? And he said this. He said, when they came for my little brother, he was afraid and he cried. So mom said, there's nothing to be afraid of, David. And she took his hand and went with him. read that and I think, man, that doesn't only illustrate the powerful love of a mother for her son, that illustrates the way Jesus walks with us through the darkest valleys. Indeed, he already died the death we deserved. What makes us think he's not going to walk with us through what I'm facing today? By way of application here, I want to ask you, are you going through a trial right now? And here's the key question. Have you given in to the lie 
that hope can only come if the trial goes away. Be given into that lie. Or do you believe God can give you hope in Jesus even in the middle of the fire? Wrap this up. How'd, how'd this turn out with these three people listening on to Paul? Acts 26, 24, it says, Festus interrupted Paul. You're out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. Paul says, I'm not insane, Festus. What I am saying is true and reasonable. King Agrippa is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. What's he talking about? He's talking about everything Jesus did, everything Paul's done, everything the early church had done. Agrippa had seen it all. And he looks right at the king who could take his life. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Talk about boldness. He's witnessing to this king he's on trial for. And Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? I love Paul's answer. He says, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, a follower of Christ, except for these chains. I think, man, how many of us would feel towards those guys? I'd love for you guys to be locked up. I'm tired of this mess. Paul's like, I would love for you guys to be what I am, except for these chains. That was his heart. But it says, the king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice, and those sitting with them, After they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. The king Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Paul had not appealed to Caesar. He could have been let go, but we know God is in control. And God wants Paul to speak about Jesus in Rome. That's how they responded to the hope Paul spoke of. They got up and walked away. I wonder how you'll respond this morning. I want to close with one more story. It's about a little league game. A a man shows up a little bit late and sits behind one of the dugouts and he gets the attention of one of the little guys in the dugout and he says, how's the game going? And the little guy says, we're down 18-nothing. I relate to that. Our softball team on occasion. (laughs) Little guy says, we're down 18 nothing, and the, the man in the crowd says, well, you must be discouraged. And the little guy looked at him and said, no, I'm not discouraged. Why should I be discouraged? We haven't even gotten up to bat yet. <laughs> I like that little guy's attitude, right? And I, I hear that, and I think it like this. I think, why should I be discouraged? Jesus isn't done with me yet. Why should I be discouraged? Jesus hasn't left me yet. He's not going to. Why should I be discouraged? Jesus hasn't even come back yet. So as we close, I'd love for Matt and or the team to play for a few minutes here. And I, I want you to close your eyes. Just to invite you to have a moment with God. I'm going to ask you some questions. And I want you to process through this with God. The first one is this. Are you waiting in any situation right now? 
What are you waiting for? What are you waiting through? And do you believe God will do what he has said? Just wrestle through that for a moment. God's tugging on you. Take that step of trust and say, I do believe you, God. I believe what you said, and you're going to do what you said. Have you placed your hope in Jesus? Or if you're honest, is your hope in something else? Process that for a moment. just asking if you believed in him 20 years ago. I'm asking about this moment right now. It's your hope in Jesus. You believe what Matt's saying. You're all I need. Lastly, I want you to wrestle through this. Are you going through a trial? Maybe you've been believing that lie that unless the trial goes away, there's no hope. I invite you to lay that down this morning and say, God, I trust you and I have hope in you even in the middle of this trial. Hope is not dependent on what I'm going through. It's dependent on the God that I trust. As you process that, if you're here this morning saying, I don't know what this hope thing looks like. I came in hopeless. I'd love to talk to you about what hope in Jesus looks like. It starts when you look at the cross. Say, I can have hope for eternal life because Jesus died for me and rose again. I trust in that. Rest in that. I'd love to talk to you. Father, we uh, close our time this morning just to say thank you for being the God of all hope. No matter what we're facing this morning, it's, it's not hopeless because you live. You're alive. You're not done with us yet. You haven't left us. And Jesus is coming back. Uh, may we be people that wait with hope people that trust you completely, Jesus. People that have hope even in the middle of hard times. Please do that in us, Holy Spirit. And not just for us, so that a watching world would look and see and say, I want what they have. I need what they have. As Peter says, that we'd be ready to give an answer for the hope that we, we have. When they ask, where's that hope come from? We're ready to say, let me tell you. It's not me, it's Jesus. Father, even as we collect our offering this morning, I pray that it would, would go to spread that message of hope in this church and around this community and this world. Help us to leave here a hopeful people. In Jesus' name, amen.